You're listening to Salon Frequency, a podcast for salon professionals revolutionizing the texture of salon culture. Today, I have a value-packed interview with a textured hair specialist that is not only a recent cosmetology school graduate, but also an amazing independent salon educator. Even her former cosmetology school educators are taking her classes. Talk about full circle. We're going to discuss what it's like establishing yourself as a professional educator, particularly when you may feel like you don't have enough experience. We'll also talk about why failing is a necessary part of your success and the characteristics of a great educator. Spoiler alert, it does not include talent. But before we get into this interview, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, welcome! My name is Jocelyn, and as your host on this journey, I strive to encourage your growth behind and beyond the chair. And with that said, I would like to thank you for investing your time into this episode and thank you in advance for sharing it with a friend. Now, let's get into this interview and I'll introduce our guest by reading her bio. Camille Janae has been a licensed hair care professional since 2017. She's the owner of Mahogany and Rose Hair Studio in Sacramento, California, which caters exclusively to clientele with textured hair, providing curly cuts and lock maintenance. In addition to working behind the chair, Camille is an educator to salon professionals who want to learn the foundations of cutting and styling curly hair. Overall, she's passionate about helping clients simplify their approach to textured hair care and empowering salon professionals to confidently serve clients with textured hair. So Camille, I am amazed you've only been licensed for just a few years and yet you have so much to offer. Before we dive into your educational experience, in your own words, could you tell me what you believe makes a good educator? I feel like what makes a great educator is one, always having a humble approach and being humble in the way that you approach your craft. So even though you're in a position of sharing knowledge with others, you should still always be open to learning, especially in this industry. We can never know everything. We can never know enough. Um, So I think one that makes a great educator, someone that's willing and open to learning Two, being able to understand the why and how behind what you do. In our industry, it's very creative and artistic. And sometimes, depending on your approach or how your mind works, it comes naturally to you. Sometimes it can be difficult to explain to others. And I feel like that's what sets someone apart from being a salon professional and transferring over into educating is you have to be able to explain it in a systematic way that it can be replicated and repeated by those that you're teaching. I would say that I feel those are probably the main two things that that make a great educator is, is being humble enough to continue learning and being able to understand your process in a way that can be repeated. I agree wholeheartedly. Like I literally could not agree more. I'm grateful that you've shared that definition and that we are on the same page as far as what an educator is, because so often it's misconstrued as somebody just being talented, but breaking it down even further, like you said, knowing the why, being able to approach it systematically is very, very, very important. Can you think of the moment when you decided that you were going to be an educator? You know, I don't know that there was ever a pivotal 
point in the sense that I naturally came from a background of educating. When I was in college, I was a tutor for elementary, middle school students. So I always had a passion for helping teach and guide others. And honestly, I got into educating right out of beauty school. I got employed with a curly hair brand in the professional realm. And that's kind of what jump-started me into educating specifically within our industry. But I guess the moment where I decided I wanted to do that was seeing that there was such a hole within our industry, especially coming right out of beauty school, that there I didn't learn what I wanted to learn, especially in regards to curly hair and textured hair. So I felt like regardless of the number of years or lack thereof, I had behind me in the industry, I had enough of a passion within a specific area. And I wanted to be able to share that with others. So did your experience with the curly brand in the educational sense, did that propel you to offer your own education or are you still on their team and you just simultaneously do education behind your chair as well? So it definitely sparked the interest even further. Um, I'm no longer with that particular brand. And I transitioned into being an independent educator, at least for now, because I wasn't exclusively using one brand. I was experimenting and finding what was going to work. And I found that that wasn't always exclusive to one brand. So being able to um, speak to that and also speak more specifically to tighter curls, which also isn't always addressed by larger, well-known curly hair brands. So being able to go off on my own and speak from personal experience with my own hair, as well as a majority of my clients having tighter curls, being able to educate other stylists on that kind of is what pushed me to educate independently. So as an independent educator, did you have other professionals seeking knowledge from you or you began just sharing your knowledge and then it transformed into offering classes? Like how did you build your audience for educating professionals? So I'm still in the process of building, always, always trying to build my audience in terms of stylists. And so it happened with working with that brand and just putting it out there on social media, what I was doing, why I was doing it. And other stylists were reaching out to me to seek education. So that's kind of how that got started, just seeing that there was an interest there and trying to latch on to that because I already had the passion, but I just wanted to make sure it was something that other people were interested in. So other stylists would ask me to come to their salon or would ask for smaller setting one-on-one classes. So yeah, just trying to fill fill the void and fill the need that that I was being reached out for. I have no doubt that people are reaching out to you because your online education is solid and that's just what you share on social media. So how are you like towing the line between offering that free education and then packaging up your knowledge to offer it in a paid platform? That is such a good question. And I feel like that's a constant area that I'm I'm always trying to, you know, toe the line, as you said, with wanting to put enough free education out there to one, genuinely help people, but to draw them in to seek more information on a paid level. So honestly, I I'm not sure. I just try to um, do it in a way where I'm giving people a taste, but not a taste in a way that feels salesy. So enough that is informative and helpful. 
and then always trying to include some sort of call to action so that if people are interested or intrigued by what's being posted, they can reach out to me to seek more in-depth education. So I think that's where I try to balance it is just it not being too lengthy, but it's still being genuine and that it is authentically helpful, but opening that door for those to seek more information if they want to. Absolutely. I can totally relate to trying to find the balance between the two. So to date, you've offered several professional classes. Can you walk me through how you went from, okay, people keep asking me about um, tight curls. What is going to be my model for this? How, How many weeks out do you try to plan out your marketing from the class time? How do you decide on your class size? Like, what is it like for you to plan out your first professional class? Yeah, planning out my first independent class actually was sparked because a salon reached out to me and it was limited in that their time limit, I want to say was like an hour and a half, but they were wanting it kind of fairly comprehensive in a sense. But I took it on just because I was excited. So the way I I prepared for that, in terms of the space, it was already set. It was a small salon and I kind of partnered with them to see if it would be okay to offer it to other stylists as well as their staff, which it was. And so I just used kind of the time limit and what they requested in terms of what they wanted to cover and figured out how I was going to condense that. So My goal is always to make sure I'm covering the theory behind things. And my focus too, a lot of times is to help minimize the fear that a lot of stylists have around working with textured hair. So I kind of make sure that the intro is is kind of focused on that and letting stylists understand that a lot of what goes into approaching textured hair is fundamentals that they already know from cosmetology. So I use that as my basis and then touch on very simplified basic techniques when it comes to textured hair, because I want stylists to understand how to do it as a whole, as opposed to this is how you do a style or this is how you do a particular cut. If they understand the theory and basic technical approaches, they can use their own style and flair to approach any head of hair. So those are kind of my guidelines and guides when I'm approaching how I'm designing the class. Did you ever tell yourself lies about like, oh, these people may know more about X, Y, and Z, or I've only been doing this particular thing for so long. How's anybody going to listen to me? Were those ever lies or fears that you had going into educating professionals? Oh, most definitely. Um, Always really working on myself in terms of that imposter syndrome. When I first started educating right out of beauty school, honestly, I was not honest when stylists would ask me how long I had been doing hair because I feared that if I told them, oh, I just graduated, that then they would invalidate my knowledge. Now I feel, even though it's still not a lot of time, I'll proudly say how long I've been licensed, but I definitely struggle with that sometimes with thinking that my level of expertise is limited to the number of years I've been in the industry, but it really has helped that I've had positive experiences and positive interactions with stylists, especially when I'm able to work with and educate stylists that have doubled the amount of years that I have in the industry and really express that they've gained a lot from the class. But yes, it's definitely a constant struggle battling with imposter syndrome. 
Oh, absolutely. I know once you have that class and it's executed flawlessly and people have gained so much from you, you feel that level of confidence and it's like a boost. But in between those times, like as you're prepping or as you're marketing, what are some things that you remind yourself of to kind of keep that imposter syndrome down to a minimum? Things I do to keep that imposter syndrome to a minimum, I think just referring back to what I have accomplished and knowing that a lot of times the way I'm approaching a class for stylists is already kind of how I'm approaching appointments with clients where I really make it an educational experience, but also conversational where I'm just talking them through what I'm doing and knowing that it is such a visual and kinesthetic field that the results are right there in front of them. So if I'm making anything up or it's false, it would show in the results. So I think just reassuring myself, like you've done this, you've done this a number of times, you've explained this a number of times and the results speak for themselves. Absolutely. That is what we have to keep telling ourselves and reminding us of our greatness and that we as stylists, we as professionals, We have knowledge that no one else can duplicate. So you just in your own right, you are capable to deliver superior education, which you do all the time. Right. Thank you. Yeah, that's the goal. Because you've had a number of professional educational experiences, whether it's with a brand or independently, what type of educational model have you found to enjoy best? Like, do you like group classes, one-on-one, multi-day in terms of you providing the education? Like what is like your ideal go-to educational model for salon professionals specifically? How do you best deliver the knowledge that you have? So far, the only approach I've used is a look and learn approach. So anywhere from between an hour to four hour classes where they're able to touch and feel the hair, but it's primarily them watching me perform the services and being able to ask questions. So that's been my only approach so far. I would love to offer more one-on-one classes as well as hands-on classes where stylists are able to work on live models or mannequin heads. I feel like that kind of helps to drive the point home a little bit more when you're able to practice the techniques on your own. Yes, but I know from personal experience, doing a hands-on class independently without the support of either additional team members or more educators in the space, because the levels of professionals are so different, the time that you may have allotted for this class or this technique can exponentially grow if you have to stick with this one student or if this student already knows it, it's going fast, like it's a lot to manage, just... FYI. (laughs) It's good to know because I did not think about that, but that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) It's a lot to manage. But look and learns are amazing. And I think they are really valuable, especially like you said, we are very visual in how we as educators receive information. I've personally been following you for a while and I feel like I saw something that said like your look and learn didn't go as it was supposed to go. You had to improvise. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Yeah, I am somewhat of a perfectionist. So these kind of experiences definitely 
challenge me in terms of, you know, having to go with the flow. So in this particular situation, one of my models, I had two models planned for a look and learn class. And one of them flaked the morning of the class. And it was just too short of a period of time to get another model. And I had my brother, who's a videographer, was going to shoot video for me to use as additional content later. And he just so happened to have the type of hair that I needed. And he volunteered to be a model. So I wasn't able to get video footage like I wanted to, but at least the attendees of the class were able to see me demonstrate on both different types of hair texture, which was kind of the main goal. So yeah, I had to pivot and be flexible, but that was initially frustrating and it would have been easy to become kind of discouraged, but I had a class to teach, so figured it out. Because you were in front of other professionals, were they understanding of the model situation or did you feel like they were becoming, you know, frustrated because they weren't getting the value that they expected? Like what kind of, what kind of response were you getting from your students? Everyone seemed really understanding because I was able to replace the model and he had exactly the type of hair that I needed to demonstrate on. I was able to offer them the same value that I wanted to offer them. So I don't feel like they missed out on anything, but I did explain the situation before the class started and they seemed super understanding. I more so just missed out with not having the video, but they were super understanding and flexible with the adjustment. That's good to know. I feel like a lot of times we can be harder on ourselves, especially when we're speaking with our peers about the experience that we're trying to create. And so because they extended you grace, I feel like that is important for other professionals to know that you can educate. Things don't always go as planned, but understand that your peers, we got you. Right. Most definitely. I feel like a sense of honesty and transparency is appreciated. And they understand that unexpected things happen in our day-to-day in the salon anyway. So same thing can happen with education. Absolutely. So can you tell me about what class you've offered independently that has been your most successful by your definition of success? I would say one was the very first one that I offered in my own salon studio space. And I had three salon professionals attend. And it was huge for me because one of the attendees was a local stylist that I look up to. And she has been doing hair for 20 plus years. And she reached out to me after the class and said, even with doing hair that long, she had not really learned any of the information prior that she learned from that class. And so with it being such a small group, they were able to ask all of the questions that they wanted to. And the feedback that I got from them just made me feel really good that I was offering something of value and they really took something away that they were able to use in their profession. That's amazing, Camille. And three things stood out to me about what you just said. The first one was the size of the class. You said there were three people in the class. So did you intentionally plan for three or that's all that registered for the class? I initially planned for, I want to say like four or five. My studio space was fairly small. So I intended on it being pretty small. So I didn't sell as many tickets, but I didn't expect um, like double digits or anything much larger. Even still, I feel like um, a lot of times we can get on our mind, like we see people or educators 
that have these large class sizes, 50, 100 students in a class, and you're like, ooh, I want that, and only three people register or five people register, and you're like, I failed. But in reality, you've found value in having an intimate setting which someone you look up to has been able to use what you taught them. So there was value in having the small size. So I think that that really stood out for me. And then the other thing you said was that the students gave you feedback about their experience. And I want to ask you, how do you solicit the feedback? Do you have like a survey after, or do you just hope that they come back to you and give you feedback? Well, one to the original point. Yeah, I I definitely believe in quality over quantity. So as long as I felt like they really got something out of it, that was going to be more than selling a bunch of tickets. And um, no, I, I definitely want to develop a comprehensive feedback form. But no, they just kind of reached out independently on their own and even following up with posting their work and acknowledging that it was a result of things they learned from the class. So that kind of feedback meant a lot. But no, I don't have an official way that I've sought out feedback from attendees yet. Either way, feedback is still very, very important. And then the other question I wanted to ask or the other thing that stood out for me was about selling their tickets and the pricing of your class. How did you go about putting a number to it? The way that I approach my pricing was taking into consideration the amount of education I've invested into my own profession and understanding of of what I do, and then attaching an hourly rate to the value that I'm offering, and then incorporating that with the amount of time, not only that goes into the length of the class, but also the amount of preparation it takes, as well as any additional materials or goodie bags that I'm providing. So kind of taking all of those factors into play to determine the pricing. That's a really good strategy for coming up with a price. Because you're an educator, because you value education, what has been like the best business book or course or mentorship program that you've um, invested in that has added value to you as an educator? In terms of specifically being an educator, there hasn't necessarily been one resource. I've sought out a lot of education on the technical side of things, but I don't have any formal education in terms of how I approach educating. So I would say it's probably a combination of kind of looking into how people speak. And what I mean by that is just really great orators from like TED Talks, people that are known for excellent public speaking, watching and analyzing when I do go to classes, going to the classes from the approach of being a better hairstylist, but also analyzing how the educators educate and what I would do differently or what I would emulate in my own way. So there hasn't necessarily been one major source. Um, I, I kind of pick and pull from different things that inspire me. Absolutely. I mean, I find that there's value in multiple areas of life that can teach to help inspire you to be a better educator. So there's no right answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So with that, could you share any advice that you would give to a salon professional that is wanting to 
offer education to other salon professionals, especially now with us trying to find other ways that we can monetize our brand and pivot, what advice would you give to a salon professional wanting to become an educator? Lots of different advice. I would say a big thing to analyze internally is your why behind wanting to become an educator in the sense that if you're approaching it from a standpoint of fame, quote fame, being insta-famous or things like that, which now being a salon professional educator has kind of been glamorized and not that I am on that level in any capacity, but just knowing that that's not going to sustain you. So kind of back to my original thoughts on what makes a great educator is being able to explain why you're doing what you're doing to other stylists. So if you're just really good at doing hair, but you can't explain how you're doing it a particular way or why you're doing it a particular way, then education might not be the best route for you. So I think analyzing your motives and knowing that that's going to carry you a lot further if it's not monetarily based, and then just making sure that what you're offering is something that's needed and that there's something where you're bringing your own personal approach and your own personality into what you're doing and not just emulating what you're already seeing out there in the industry. So that, and then just not being intimidated if you feel like it's oversaturated, as long as you feel like you're being true to yourself and you're truly passionate about why you're doing it, then there's room for all of us. I was over here clapping because those are gems. I'm just going to recap a little bit, be able to explain why you're doing what you're doing or wanting to be an educator, figure out your motives, offer value, bring your own personality, and don't be intimidated. Woo, Camille, those are (laughs) words of wisdom right there. So with that, can you explain where other salon professionals or clients are able to find you either online or on your website? Yes. Um, Yeah. So uh, potential clients as well as stylists seeking education can find me on my Instagram page at Camille Janae Hair, as well as uh, my salon's website, which is mahoganyandrose.com. Both places are a great way to see what my business is all about and get to know me a little better. And folks are always welcome to reach out to me that way. Wow, that was amazing. And thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this interview. If you were inspired by anything that was shared today, please consider posting a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It just helps other people discover the podcast and hear amazing information like you just heard. And as always, be sure to check out the show notes for links to resources that were mentioned during this interview and visit salonfrequency.com so that you can join the vibe, which is an email newsletter that keeps the conversation going. 